0: This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people Greg Ross, Billuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Dr. O in Teberg, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible.
1: Transmission Start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheretidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya.
0: Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight, it's been far too long, but the Snake Brothers are back. Russ Got and, Russ glad, and glad Kyle, back. Russ and Kyle, otherwise known as Snake One and Two.
2: <laughs> snake One, reporting in. <laughs> snake Two here.
0: <laughs> and I, yeah, and man, it's been it's been a long time. It's it's great to be back on the show. I think we we were discussing this before we started recording. I think the last time we talked was when I came on your show with Marty. Yeah, that's right. And I I don't know when that was, but it was a while ago. Yep. What I'd is this year? I have to back in the feed to find out. Yeah.
2: What and episode is this for you? Do you, are you even tracking your
0: numbers anymore? I, I've do never you know? tracked my numbers. I always do it oh. by date. Oh. Remember I came from radio, so I didn't, you know, like numbering them didn't make sense. Just putting a date on them made sense. An air date, you know? Uh, uh, okay. Well, in my, in my,
2: where did the road go? Patreon feed, it says there's 1000 something posts. Oh yeah. So yeah. That's quite a, quite a number. We just passed our three hundred milestone on our show.
0: Well, you were on the anniversary show in January. Was it last January or the year before? Oh yeah, that's and it was uh, well. It was well over a thousand episodes at that point. Could have been found. a year before, huh? Could that have been a year before? I think it was last January. I think it, it was like, like it was that. I think it was last January, but time's really fuzzy at this point.
2: I don't. It's, true. I don't think it was this most recent January. I think it was the one no? before that. Yeah. My God. Yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> Yeah, because I remember Soraya telling me he was like he was like, I'm having somebody else on, but you guys were on last time. Oh.
0: Yeah. How dare you. Yeah. Well, I think so okay, so this would have been the tenth anniversary. So I had I had Josh and Red Pill on.
2: Yeah, that's right. Because yeah,
0: that's right. you know, they've they they've been a part of the show since near the beginning. So that made sense. Yes. Uh and yeah. I had you guys on for the ninth anniversary. So yeah, it was two years ago. Yeah. And, uh, I forget what the point of that was. Oh, so at that point you had, you had asked me how many episodes I did and I didn't know. So while we were doing it, I pulled up my, my folders that have all the files that it and counted them, not counting the Patreons. Mm. And there were over a thousand at that point.
3: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing.
0: And sometimes you publish two a week sometimes yeah. just one yeah. yeah it varies yeah yeah and there's usually patreon content for every show and that goes and i think i started doing the patreon in like 2015 or so yeah when patreon wow. was new
2: right because people so you started doing your patreon content a year before we actually started our show i think
0: mm, okay
2: and yeah because i think we started in 2016 and now it just feels like you've always done it doesn't it it does yeah yeah <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's like completely a part of our lives and has vastly changed our entire lives. Yep. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I can say the music show did that to me at one point, but I think this did it even more.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the number of people you talk to, the, the ideas that get passed around, but for us also, it's like, it's the travel, like suddenly we're going to these places with whole groups of people who are interested in it in the same way that we are spending two weeks in Egypt, you know, uh, which is like a kind of like top of the bucket list dream that you just wonder if you're ever going to get to do. And then suddenly we're doing it on a regular basis, uh, in the most awesome way possible. (laughs) Right. Like, you know, go podcasting. That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately podcasting is now being filled out by, uh, you know, commercial entities and AI and things like that, which just muddy the waters and, and make good content harder to find. Yeah.
2: Yep. That's true. But I mean, you know, you, you, we're, we're, you're totally right about that. And, uh, I just try not to worry about it. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're not, but I'm just saying like, we're just, we're doing what we love and it's so much fun and it's made such a huge impact on our lives. And we, we've got this amazing community around us just like you do around your show. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's just so awesome.
0: It's really cool. Yeah. That's the thing. The community especially is, is, you know, it's not something i ever imagined having yeah and again compared yep. to the music show i mean you know there's a community around that but it's a lot looser and it's it doesn't have the same support structure yeah so yeah this this
2: but it's also heavy metal right don't you like uh aren't you afraid of dying all the time <laughs> with the heavy metal show why why just- the heavy metal embraces
0: death. Yeah. Oh, oh I see. I see. You- <laughs> no, no, that's why you're not afraid of death because you know you're just used to it. <laughs> that's all you talk about. That's all we write music there, about. <laughs> there, 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 there are, and I've, I've mentioned this before. There are a number of studies now that have shown that people who grew up listening to metal are better adjusted, on average, uh, because they deal with all these dark themes and stuff. It's not as traumatic for them when they encounter them in real life.
2: Ah, that's interesting.
0: So I did not know that. Yeah. So it, it, all the, all the warnings back in the eighties of all, oh, it's, it's going to make, you know, it's going to screw you up is actually the opposite. Yeah. It's I'm like, just it's try, like I'm therapy to
2: troll you with some stereotypes here. Yeah. Oh, you. I know. I know. <laughs> You're
0: not letting me do it.
2: <laughs>
0: that's fine. <laughs> cause I, cause I think it's hilarious that, you know, you have these, these psychological studies that are like, huh heavy music actually seems to be good for people. It's like, really? So getting out your aggressions and, uh, you know, connecting with, with negative emotions isn't actually necessarily a bad thing.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah, I recently saw some meme online about the, uh, you know, like the, the people who write the, the darkest heavy metal, like from Norway or whatever. And then it shows a picture of their house and it's in this like absolutely gorgeous valley in the <laughs> mountains with a lake and all this stuff. And like, this is where they live, you know.
0: <laughs> and, and, and more often than not, they probably have a cat.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but cat. of course, other people came out and they're like, yeah, it looks like that for
0: three weeks. Right. The, rest of the time it's a winter hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the time it's darkness. Right. <laughs> um. So you you have been to Turkey. Yes. And when did you go there? Uh, April of this year. Okay. And obviously yeah. you went to Göbekli. Go- 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 yeah. Let me try <laughs> words again. Words are very difficult. Uh, they are Göbekli Tepe. That's right um what else did you go see while you were there well
2: we were we, we were uh we based the whole thing out of shanlerfa which is the the nearest city to gobekli tepe uh and karahan tepe is there also uh okay. it's a little farther away and it's not nearly like gobekli tepe now has kind of been um this is what you know i graham hancock was upset about this it's been touristized of i course guess it has. they've they've spent millions of dollars on a beautiful a uh, sort of tourist center there, with a tiny museum in it, and a, a kind of really strange multimedia experience. Strange. You know, what would you even call that thing?
3: Yeah, you go into a little curved, uh, sort of circular walkway in the dark. It's like a theater, mm. and you're walking in the and there's projection, video projection on the walls and, and the, the floor. floor. And yeah, it's it's kind of showing you this environment, of uh, sort of uh, yeah, the woods and these. You know, indigenous butt flap bearing spear holding people kind of walking up and worshiping and painting red ochre and then moving rocks. And, you know, it's just it's and then burying. Right. There's then all the rocks start falling from the ceiling down into the floor. And it's like they're burying the site and all. It. It's it's very artistic to try to paint this environment of right ritual and
2: uh, I don't know i mean
3: it's, i, mean, it's, I, ha,
2: really I have, have to admit way. it's pretty cool you know when the when the pillars show up and then there's fire and they start dancing and the music is like i mean it's loud too like when you're in there the music is you know they've got a really expensive stereo system but or it's, whatever
3: it's very artistically done in, yeah in the sense of like i mean there's like you know then you, suddenly you're seeing all the hands all these hands waving around like they're worshiping and it's just strange yeah it's weird
0: it sounds um, kind of
3: cool though it is cool <laughs> it is yeah it yeah. is cool its yeah its cool You know, we're more interested in like, what is the real story here? This is obviously a story created by uh, the archaeologists. The early archaeologists. Yeah. yeah. Basically telling us that hunter-gatherers built the site and it was a site for worship and that they buried it intentionally. So, you know. I mean, it's it is cool though. I can't, you know, I'm not going to knock it.
2: But. Yeah, and they did a good job on the on the whole area. I mean, it is, you know, Graham was Graham Hancock and other people were pretty upset about the roof, the massive sort of roof that was put over the site. Why? I like the roof, but when you go because it, you know, Graham is like it disconnects it from the sky and oh, okay. all these alignments, right? And like you used to be able to go out there and you could stand there and in the dark and it's connected to the night sky and everything. But but man, when you're there and you see the context of the site, you're like, okay, I get it. Because we actually, we actually arrived. You remember there was a massive earthquake. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, yeah, there was a huge earthquake. It caused a ton of damage in Shanlurfa and the surrounding area. And then there was a flood, like, a few weeks later. They had a massive rainstorm come through when they were still trying to, they were still searching for people from the earthquake. And then there was a flood. And it flooded the whole city area and caused a bunch more people to die. And it actually, uh, so this was bad for us because when we were there,
3: people were already living in tents. Yeah because their houses had been completely destroyed. So all these people are out like living under tents and then they get this massive inundation <laughs> of yeah. rain, it's like just, a biblical oh proportion <laughs> amount of rain these poor people.
2: Yeah. And what was, what sucked for us was that, uh, I mean, when, well, by the time we got there, they had, you know, they had fixed a lot of things, but you could still see remnants of the earthquake damage. Like the, the, the tops of the minarets of the mosques were broken, uh, there were sections of road that had collapsed. Still, they were trying to fix stuff. Um, but the flood, the museums—it turned out that contained, you know, tens of thousands of artifacts that have been taken from Göbekli Tepe and Karahan Tepe that give you the, con- you know, because it's it's when you go to these sites, and this happens in Egypt also, you go to the temple. And the temple is now—it's a bunch of giant blocks of stone with with carvings in it or whatever. But when they when they were being excavated, they were full of artifacts, and those, those all of those artifacts are in museums, right? So you have to go to the museum to see the artifacts to get the full picture of what the site was like. But the museums, it turned out, were built in a floodplain near the city. Oh, so they started to fill up with water, and there was like this emergency effort to move. And create all these priceless, incredibly ancient artifacts out of the museum and store them somewhere where they wouldn't be destroyed by the floodwaters. <clears throat> and when we got there, the museums were still closed because all the artifacts were still cased up somewhere in storage. So we didn't get to see any of that stuff. Oh, man. That sucks. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, all the, the strange statues and the carvings and, you know, from all the different. Uh, so, we, yeah, we didn't get to see any of it. Um but we did get to the sites. We got to go see Göbekli twice and uh, Tepe twice as well. We got to see Nimrut Dagi, which is an amazing site. Not um, familiar with that one. It's it's a. <clears throat> I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. It's 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 got these sort of strange Persian uh, carvings, seated figurines with the heads have all been broken off, and they're sitting on the ground. Oh, maybe. Yeah, and it's all—it's way up at the top of one of the highest mountains in the mountain range there. Like, you have to do this crazy... It was a... F- giant bird heads, giant people heads. Yeah, okay. and the people are wearing pointed hats. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> Phrygian okay. caps. Yeah, Phrygian caps. Um, but the most interesting thing about it is not the statues, but the fact that the statues are actually sort of, relatively speaking, these tiny artifacts that, so, that are in place around this enormous pile of of artificial gravel that actually makes up the entire mountaintop man-made pile of it's gravel. a man-made pile of gravel and it is absolutely monstrous right it's huge and it's clear that it it's it's covering something something it's, is underneath it's pyramid
3: there. size yeah I mean,
2: it's just massive oh huh. and
0: we have no idea what's under it
2: no i mean they just tell you like well it's the tomb of this guy who made these statues it's a it's a classic you know standard right. sort of assumption story but the thing is is that this pile of gravel is actually the most perfect uh, conception of like how to hide something because you can't dig into it without the rest, the whatever is above collapsing. You'd have to remove all the gravel basically to to get or to whatever. Or some
3: way shore it up. Yeah. As,
2: you're, as you're digging in, it, it it would just collapse. Yeah, the the gravel itself is already at at uh, it's the angle it's at is it's it's at slope failure. So if you pull some out the stuff above collapses down into the place where you made the hole. Right. Uh, so (laughs) you can't dig into it without removing all of it. (laughs) Now you said it's it's pyramid size. How, what, what kind of pyramid? I'm just trying to, I mean,
3: people, if you haven't been to a pyramid, I guess that is not a really good reference. It's just, the it's
0: so it's huge it's enormous yeah in like, words, like is it like, great pyramid sized or like one of the smaller pyramids
2: uh maybe maybe it's like minkara okay. uh you know so the smaller of the three big ones on on giza okay
0: so that's pretty huge i mean i mean it's
2: huge it could be bigger than that because we've walked around Minkara and i don't think it took us as long as no, it took is... us to walk around the uh the pile <laughs> of gravel on i mean it, it's the whole mountaintop right yeah it looks like somebody went up there they found the tallest mountain in this in this massive mountain range and they went up there and carved something into the mountaintop and then and then covered it in gravel until the mountain was pointy again Right. That's the other interesting thing about it is that the slopes all around it are are very
3: steep. So the gravel basically is sitting atop the mountain and it it it's the gravel pile is steep itself and then it just ends in steep slopes. Yeah. <laughs> that continue down the mountain. So it's it's like they had to cart all this gravel up there. Yeah,
2: where did the gravel come from? Where do they get it? Like what are they, what is it covering up? There's one outcrop on one end
3: that definitely looks like it had been massively quarried. Yeah. But other than that, it's I don't know. Uh,
0: it, it it makes but, me wonder if there's a Hall of Records type of thing under it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes, That's yes. exactly what we talked about when we were up there. You know, we and we went with with
2: Ben uh, from Uncharted X, and uh, so we were all discussing this this idea because all of us are interested in this. The idea of an ancient civilization and the fact that they may have purposefully left behind uh, places where they were trying to preserve artifacts from their civilization through a some kind of destruction, like possibly the Younger Dryas period. And also Um, theft. Yeah. And theft. Right. And so and then also, you know, you 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 kind of want to build something where it's like you can't get to this without a certain amount of cooperation and uh, ability Right. And so one way to do that is to make a giant pile of gravel that you can't move by yourself. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, the archeologists a while, I guess it was maybe 40 years ago, they made an attempt to dig into it and then they just said it was too dangerous right? Right. because it keeps keeps collapsing. And if it, if it collapses enough, you can have like a kind of an avalanche effect and it'll push people down the mountain.
0: Uh, So yeah. Yeah. That would take a Uh, massive undertaking to actually uncover that, which is probably the whole point. I mean, why, why make something like that? if you're not trying to uh i don't don't know like either and it's it's lit dude it's literally
2: in the most unbelievably rugged inhospitable area you've ever seen like you're standing on this on the at the site looking down into the stuff that's around it and it's just pointy rocky crags there's no roads right you're just like who came out here and made this enormous pile of gravel and where's the you know well, what, I mean, are we supposed to believe that uh, they, they, that a, that a more primitive culture shipped a bunch of dudes out here and just had them breaking rocks for I don't know 20 years? To right. Make? And the the rock, the gravel is, it looks sifted. Mm. You know, like how you make modern gravel. You you crush rocks and then you put it through a sifting process so that you get large ones and medium ones and small ones, and right. they're all kind of. So when you when you end up getting gravel delivered to your house for your driveway or something. You have a certain size and you can know that because it's been sifted, that every piece of rock is going to be roughly the same size as all the rest of them. Yeah.
3: Roughly the same size and smaller. Yeah. In some cases. <clears throat> it just depends. But yeah, yeah you're not going to get any larger depending on the size of your sieve. Right. <clears throat> and so there's
2: this huge pile of gravel and they it looks regular like a, yeah, like a modern regular. gravel pile. Looks
3: like it was put up there by a, a, what do they call it, like a grain lift or something, you know, like an
2: auger. Yeah. Where it, lit, you know, a, just, a long, just a long, pouring it in the center and yeah. it just builds this giant.
3: <laughs> it's cone, it's crazy, shape,
2: dude, to walk around this and you're just looking at this massive pile of gravel and you're like, okay, who did this?
3: <laughs> How did they take the last wheelbarrow of gravel <laughs> to the top? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> and put it up there to where it all
3: it has the same slope. Yeah. Well, maybe they just pulverized what was there and turned it into gravel. Yeah. But, but to, to pile it, this is what I'm saying, is that like to make a pile at this steepness that is symmetrical and pointy and right? pointy, Yeah.
1: <laughs> you yeah. have to
3: be continually putting it in the center.
2: On the top, in the center and then the rest of it, every time you pour some on there, it sort of slides down and you keep pouring it and it makes it taller very slowly. I mean,
3: okay. I guess you could, you could pour it in stages (laughs)
1: uh
3: with with a flat like sort of truncated top but at some point you you have to build scaffolding to get it up there because it's so high
1: yeah yeah it's way to get the
3: gravel to the top you would have to have scaffolding around it to to transport the gravel to the top of it to continue building this thing up and then to make a point it's just this is it's not simple yeah (laughs) it's not a trivial task
2: (laughs) yes Uh, huh. a, a completely aside from actually manufacturing the gravel itself just piling it up in the way that it is 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 a very difficult job without machines you know the same thing the same issue that we have with a lot of these ancient sites where you're just like how did they do this yeah uh if it was done by hand and like you know you kind of get this story like okay the donkeys and you know, you sling the, the two bags of gravel over the donkey's back and then the donkey walks up the pile and then you pour the bags out and you're just like well no you can't do that uh forever because it's too steep you know so it's just, it is an interesting site And like, it was crazy to be able to stand there at the base of this and just like, and you know, because they've done some scans and they have found that there's at least three voids inside this pile of gravel somewhere that no one has ever accessed since they were made.
0: Interesting. Right?
2: Because if they had accessed them, the gravel would be gone. Right. It's never right. been pillaged. It's never been plundered. No one has ever made it into these. And, we, and the archaeologists are like, yeah, there's some voids in there. It's probably the tomb of the king that made these statues out here. Um, but you know, the, the other possibility is that the statues are out there because the King knew based on old legends or maybe some other stuff that he had, that there was something here from an ancient civilization. And he built these statues to honor this site or to associate himself with this place of the, of the gods or the ancients. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel like if you're going to go through that much trouble. I mean, sure. It could be a burial. Uh, but I think we, we, we assume too much stuff is burials without really any evidence around it. Yeah. And it's like this is the type of thing you either do because you want this information hidden until someone advanced enough can uncover it, or yeah. you want it hidden forever because it's like the real Necronomicon or something. And yeah, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah. there is a there is a podcast I listened to an audio fiction podcast I think it was called Derelict, um, and the concept they had was that there was this this giant door they found on the ocean floor, and. Mm it's like millions of years old and they're trying to open the door and the door turns out to be a prison and that's why it was like in this totally inaccessible area on the planet and it was put there before there was like you know any major life on the planet
2: uh, so a prison for something off from
0: off-world? Yes. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. give away too much if anyone wants to listen to it, but I mean- What is it called? I'll listen dere- to it. Derelict. Derelict, okay. And actually, that's not even the derelict story. It starts off with an episode uh, where they find this thing in space, but then they didn't do anything. It was weird. They didn't do anything with it for a long time. Mm. And then finally, they came, and then instead of doing derelict, they did- uh, I forget what it's called. Hang on. It's under the derelict. Po- they did the fathom is the one that is about under okay. the, the thing under the water, but it's under the derelict podcast. So it's like the prequel okay. to the, sh- to the podcast. They still haven't done.
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's, there's a similar theme. in uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of these. Maybe somebody's mentioned them to you. The Dresden files is a whole series of, I think there's like 20 something books in this. They're a, it's yeah, there
0: great. Was, uh, there was a TV show it, too. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. I don't, i I don't know anything about the TV show, but I, I went through all the books. It's like fiction, you know, and it's yeah. kind of like this guy's a magician and they put him in the modern context and he's a wizard, you know, and he's also a private detective. And uh, anyway, he ends up controlling and he's in Chicago, right? He ends up controlling an island that is also it's the same thing, a prison built by Merlin uh, to house like these really awful paranormal entities uh, for all for all time. Right. Right. And it's the same thing. He kind of discovers it and it's this ancient thing filled with crazy magic that he doesn't understand because Merlin built it, you know, and the, the thing is it's four dimensional, so he can't even see most of it. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a similar concept. And then he gets in there and he sees some of the inmates and he's like, oh my God, like, you know, no wonder it's so well protected.
0: So the TV series was 2000, it looks like 2009 to 2010. It only did 13 episodes. Yeah. And it says, Harry Dresden is a wizard. The only one listed in the Chicago film book. He's got a handle on the crimes that can't be solved by anyone else. Paranormal. No problem. Dresden deals in all matters of supernatural threats. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and he's and he's hilarious too because he's you know he he gets phone calls from people like Are you for real? Right. He's like Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I like I said I watched the TV series and I remember enjoying it. Two thousand seven to two thousand eight. That's what it was on. Oh
2: well, the, I I if you know I mean I know you're a reader so you would love the books. I mean okay. I I just I devoured them one after the other because they were so great. So
0: um, man, there's tons of high ratings on the show too. That's a seven point six out of ten on IMDb. Wow. But yeah, yeah, yeah I mean books the books are really good. The idea that they could have uh you know buried something that they don't want anyone to get to yeah did you want
2: to show i mean i know you're not recording video but kyle can at least show you some pictures that we got here so you can well, see what we're I talking don't. about does <laughs> skype allow you to show pictures yeah you can send know. a picture through skype yeah i was going
3: to send a picture but i was looking at this video and it's like i just need to take a screenshot of it so I'll i'll get it to you yeah
2: yeah, just so you can see. Well, so anyway, we went to Nimrud, which is like, you know, in the standard archaeological story, Nimrud is not ancient. I mean, it's ancient, but it's not anything like Gobekli Tepe. Okay. Uh, you know, more like 2,000 years old. Uh, at least that's what how they date all the statues. But when, once again, when you're up there and you're just looking at this, the, the platforms and the statues around this massive pile of gravel, which to me, the pile of gravel is the artifact that's, yeah. that's the origin of all this the archaeological story is that all of this was set up to be the tomb of this king that no one liked uh we were told by our guide uh, a great dude ramazan he said um nimrut or nimrod right the biblical yeah like I, in the bible they call it they refer to him nimrod he he told this whole he gave this whole explanation about how that's not the person's name, that's what uh, these this culture, these people called any king who was terrible, like just an awful, mm. despotic or or incompetent ruler. They called him a Nimrut. Uh, so it's a title. It means a bad king. <laughs> right. I mean, that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's named after a bad king, the whole site. And apparently this king ha- ha commissioned these statues to be built up here. Uh, but there's it's interesting because the statues have their own kind of construction style and, and artistic style. But then there's like platforms made of a completely different kind of stone in a completely different style and an ancient wall that like has this beautiful sort of interlocking, I can't really describe it. There's a wall, the remnants of a wall that go around that are made of big megalithic slabs that were that interlocked in this very interesting uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, like a Tetris fashion. Uh, It's mostly collapsed now, um, but it looks completely different from the statues. And then you have this enormous pile of gravel, right? And so the archaeological story is in the pile of gravel is the tomb of this king who commissioned all this stuff to be built up here. Uh, And then the platform of this other different kind of rock and the wall was all for ceremonies or something um, it's not really well explained but you know when you're walking around up there you just get the sense that it's something more complex and maybe it's similar to other sites where people have been building on this area for a long time or, or, or using it because there's this very ancient thing here which yeah. is the, the, you know and then they have legends associated with it like within the the mountaintop here is remnants of the ancients.
0: Oh, huh. okay. Looking at the pictures you sent. Yeah, that is that is one hove a pile of gravel.
2: Yeah, so you, the first one Kyle sent there where you're looking at the mountaintop from far away and you can see that pile of gravel is the top of the mountain. Yeah. Right? It's huge. Yeah. And then when you get up next to it, you're like, wow, okay, this is an enormous object.
0: What, what, what did you Google to find these? He took them uh, from our photographs. Oh, okay. But
2: you
3: can Google. But you can look up Nimrut. Nimrut doggy. Want to spell yeah, that yeah. for people? N I M
2: R
0: U T U T. Yeah, yeah.
2: D A G I. Two words.
0: Hmm. I, I'm not sure I actually have heard of this before.
2: Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a site of interest to me for a long time because of the same thing. Because I looked at the pictures and I'm and everybody's focusing on these. Uh, these, statues. like, sort of Phoenician statues, and yeah. I'm like, but what about this massive pile
0: of obviously artificial pile of gravel in the background? With voids in it. That's, that's the important thing. Like, if they scanned yeah. it and it was solid, we it'd need- be like...
3: OK, scan, scan Nimroot project. Yeah, you know? like drill, <laughs> drill down, go down the mountain, drill it way into the side of the mountain underneath this thing. Put the oh, you want the muon detector, put the down muon there? detector into the drill hole <laughs> and leave it there. And let's see what
2: kind of voids are underneath this, this thing. And so they they clearly spent uh, mm-hmm. quite a bit of money uh, working on this site, too. There's a big welcome center. Actually, it was interesting because the place was closed. Uh, to the public when we, we were able to get in because our our guide down there is is well connected mm. um, but you know it was it basically had been the road leading up to it was covered in snow like so no one could oh. get there uh, and then they finally it, it warmed up a little bit and the and the snow melted and so the road opened up but it still wasn't open to the public but he allowed it he got us in but the, the whole welcome center with whatever artifacts and everything in that museum were was closed so we just got to walk around the site um, but it is, it was interesting to see this in the context of Gobekli Tepe and, you know, especially when you're thinking along the lines of, like, what is Gobekli and Karahan Tepe really?
3: Yeah, this is a place where very, like, the most ancient stone builders. Are
2: yeah, known, the most ain't no, no, yeah, the most ancient known megalithic stone builders. <laughs> We're operating in this area, and then there's this huge pile of gravel and in also, the mountains.
3: you know, on a massive scale.
2: Yeah, like yeah. this is
3: not like Göbekli Tepe is not a, it's not a one-off. Yeah, there are numerous sites of with the same artistic design, the same type of megalithic circles, same high relief carvings, uh, all all around l'fa in the in the what are called the Gumuche mountain ranges this the stone hills uh the, the Taj tepelaires but yeah call, the stone yeah, this, hills the it's like all hills. these barren uh limestone eroded limestone hills and there's just these places where it's green because there's a huge mound there and it, underneath these mounds are these giant buried stone circles and there's a bunch of them.
2: Yeah, we were told when we were there that uh, somewhere between 40 and 80 additional sites aside from Gobekli Tepe, and I'm not talking about other circles in Gobekli Tepe, but actual other additional mounds that would be an entire other Gobekli Tepe site have been discovered. And just, I've heard... They're just not excavated. Yeah,
3: I've heard that there's 12, but then, you know, our, our guide was saying there may be 40 and even some people say 80. Yeah. So it's just, it's it's totally unknown. And this, this the, the thing about this is this area it's been studied for a long time but obviously it's it's the fertile crescent it's this whole there's a lot of other sites that are many many miles away that are connected in in the type of art so it's it's not really known how vast the may we call it a civilization that was constructing these sites like gobekli tepe we don't know how big it is we don't know how far reaching it is because these these mounds have been uh, just previously thought of as like uh, burial sites or or uh, pile cemeteries midden. or yeah. midden Midden mounds there wasn't ever no one ever thought that they were megalithic sites so now that the that it's kind of okay wow there's something amazing here like people are looking to see more and of course the resources to do these massive digs are not are not always there to just go but they're sort of just kind of looking around and saying okay there's a bunch of these yeah yet. so it's going to be decades at before least. any at least before any real understanding of the of the vastness of this artistic style these stone circles and the timeline because now you know with carahan tepe which is uh nearby you know relatively close to gobekli tepe i can't remember
2: how far you can yeah you can i think they were talking about uh you can walk is it is that where you can hike from there to the uh, we can
3: hike from from uh carahan to uh what's the site with the multiple temples oh um i can't remember anyway i'll we'll think of it yeah but uh yeah these sites they're all in the same context they're like very close to the same context they're they're up in these hills there are there is one that's down in the valley um that's been excavated but these t pillars are showing up everywhere yeah basically they're the t the pillars that are you know famously of gobekli tepe are in all these sites not nimrut but it's just looking at this in the context and nimrut was quite a drive that was a pretty yeah. good haul that we took a <laughs> yeah it basically from. an all-day trip <laughs> yeah but yeah. but that's my point here. Is to, is looking at this in the context of this this whole region having a a civilization that's big enough to create these gigantic sites like Göbekli Tepe, which only maybe twenty percent of it has been excavated at this point. It's huge. The place is like a, a thousand feet across. the The mound on top of this hill at Göbekli Tepe is like a thousand feet across.
2: Yeah, and and that's the other thing that i think you were kind of getting to is that similar to Nimrud, the gobekli tepe originally was a pile of gravel on top of a of a stone yeah, basically
3: is a pile of midden
2: yeah it just was it's midden instead of just gravel so it has grass and stuff growing on it's actually fertile okay. uh, because it's it's a big pile of ancient trash it's got animal bones and all kinds of stuff in it ashes right so it was green and it is green and it's like they have apple orchards up there because uh, olives olives sorry now, um, yeah, where is this? This is at Gobekli Tepe. Okay, that's what I Gobekli thought. Tepe, yeah, Gobekli Tepe yeah, Göbekli Tepe is an enormous midden mound. The, 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 the pillars themselves, the circular enclosures, are under this mound. This is, yeah. you know. Well, yeah, because so didn't a farmer
0: find it because he hit it with his
2: uh, tractor or whatever?
3: Yeah, well, that, this is, I mean, yeah, in a way. I mean, these places have been farmed for a long time. Yeah. Because they are, it's like suddenly there's all this fertile soil at the top of a mountain. Yeah. yeah. Where everywhere else it's almost the bare bedrock yeah. with like grasses in the little
2: crevices of the rocks. Yeah, it's crazy how barren it is out there. We it's, we just happened to be there after and the whole area got an enormous amount of rain, so it was beautiful and green and there were flowers, but our guy was like, dude, most of the time it's dry and everything is brown or yellow, you know, but we were out there, all the pictures look gorgeous, but it's it's
3: which, is, which was great because it gives you the contrast to see the depth, like you can see this mound you can see the midden mound of Gobekli Tepe from a distance because it's so green on yeah. uh, where, where everything around it has all these white patches because it's just bedrock sticking out. rock gotcha sticking out. but this gotcha. mound is literally uh well it's 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 like 15 meters deep and 300, 300 meters across you know places, it's a so massive places. massive mound yeah so, so almost 50 feet deep of, of of dirt that it has been placed there by humans occupation so so their occupation layers so this is the thing why bury them so this is the thing like the the burial uh it became pretty obvious that this was to me uh first of all the mound itself is not necessarily intentional this is a fine line the the burial is a natural process of occupation, right? So when humans come and stay at a place, they're bringing resources, they're bringing foods, they're bringing uh, materials, dirt, rocks, whatever they're doing. They're gardening. I don't know what animals they're
2: doing. are there. Yeah, they got animals, dung. manure. Yeah,
3: human waste, and slowly over time, over thousands of years, in many cases, like in the in in midden mounds here in Texas, for example, you could find a midden mound that's ten feet deep that consists of artifacts that span the entire like 12,000 years. So this this mound in its deepest parts are is 50 feet deep and these are occupation layers of the same type. It's like all of these flint chips from them working flint uh they're they're working basalt into grinding stones, they're building fires, they're uh, you know the fires are cracking the the limestone cobbles those are strewn about everywhere so it's it there's like russ said there's animal bones from cooking there's um they were grinding grains there's all kinds of activity going on here over a long period of time and it builds up this giant mound. the context of the megaliths however is what what confuses the whole thing
2: yeah because they're at the bottom of the mound. the
3: megaliths are attached to the bedrock yeah Okay. At the bottom of the mount. So were these megaliths buried by occupation layers just like any other midden? Or were they intentionally, like, w- were the rings there and they were just, like, they decided, well, let's just bury these. Well, if they did decide to bury them, they buried them in midden. They buried them with the material of the occupation layers that existed at the site. Okay. It's
2: okay. it's like, it's <clears throat> it would be like, uh, it'd be like burying a church with, the stuff from the dump—it's—it's it's very weird, right? It's—it it, that's what it's like. It's like—it's they're buried in trash basically, but it's—it's it's the kind of trash that just is generated over a long. Like I'm sure you've heard of digs in caves where people lived in the cave for a long time, and there can be many, many feet of material, and yeah. the people just keep living on top of it, and the stuff over time, over generations, just builds up and builds up, and the cave ceiling is getting closer and closer to your head, right? And eventually, sometimes, and we've been to mounds like this where you just have the people just stopped occupying the cave because the, the midden has, has filled it up to the point where you can't get in there anymore, right? And sometimes they dig it out and push it out, but then rains come and it collapses back in, right? And the cave becomes un- uninhabitable, basically, or even if it's just a, a, a shelter, right? A rock shelter. It's just the midden builds up to the point where you can't use it anymore unless you dig it out of there. So the Gobekli Tepe is at the very bottom of this enormous occupation mound. Like, in other words, the kind of stuff that builds up from a lot of people living in the same place for a long, long time.
1: So uh, to
3: be clear, we don't think it was intentionally buried, and actually, the the scientific literature is s- slowly moving away from that idea. Yeah, okay. even though that's been the most popular idea, but
2: and it is the idea that is popularized at the site itself. Yes, like some of the archaeologists now, the ones who are working on the site, like Jens Nostroff, is that his name? He's the, one of the lead guys, I think. Uh, he's complaining that the that there was a basically what he called a you know, uh, uh, it was helpful. But it, there was a massive sort of media campaign about Gobekli Tepe that went worldwide uh, that included the ideas from the early archaeologists that it was intentionally buried on all this kind of stuff. And he's like, this is no longer the case with the leading archaeology. We don't think it was intentional, that it looks more like uh, collapses of this midden mound that slid in and filled in these enclosures. Now, but, but this- that that – raises other questions right it's weird like because now you're now you're imagining somebody is building up midden around the mounds to the point where it's going to collapse in yeah because midden doesn't just show up you don't you don't manufacture it 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 requires you know you can't build it in other words it just it's the result of thousands of years of occupation yeah so so and, and it's clear because of the fact that the the megaliths are at the bottom of it that those probably, I mean, the most likely scenario there is that the megaliths themselves predate the midden. Right. Well, there's OK. So there's multiple
3: lines of evidence here. One is that the midden itself, the dirt and the rocks and the gravel and everything that the that, that the megalithic pillars have been buried in has been uh, has been dated based on the artifacts at the very bottom of the midden. Right. Yeah, right. So you can go to the very bottom of the midden and there's flint artifacts that are the same styles and types of flint artifacts with a lithics, stone artifacts, that they have found all over the Levant, the Fertile Crescent. Yeah, there's a huge
2: region of this same style. Yeah, where
3: hunter-gatherers that were in that massive region for thousands of years made those lithics at this time range. And that Mm -hmm. time range takes you back to this, you know, roughly 12,000 years ago. And that's at the bottom of the midden. But there's the possibility that somebody could have come and excavated the midden down all the way to the bedrock and then built Gobekli Tepe. Right. Built these giant megaliths, right? Well, megaliths are not the only structures there. There are other structures that are made of simple cobblestone walls that they they, they sort of, they're beautifully done, but they're not carved stone. They're not megalithic. They're sort of, you know, you think bowling ball size and and maybe some boulders, like some slightly larger
2: rocks. I'm sure you've seen like like natural, or not natural, but like farmer rock walls there. They look like that. Yeah, they look like that. Mm. Rock
3: walls, beautifully built, square, flat surfaces, but the rocks themselves are cobbles that are very different shapes, every one. They had mortar, and those rock walls butt up and sometimes surround the megalithic pillars. So it's obvious that those rock walls were built after the megalithic pillars were stood up. And they have dated, they have carbon dated uh, grasses and things that are in the mortar at the very bottoms of those rock walls. And those also. date to the same period as the as the oldest lithics at the bottom of the so so these pillars these megaliths have to be that old but they don't have to be that young
0: right right, right.
3: they can be much older than the cobblestone walls which look like a later renovation
2: a lot of times the the walls actually cover whole sections of beautiful carvings in the pillars, yeah, right? The
3: which pillars is, are carved. And then the rock wall just
2: completely covers that carving. And Which they, doesn't and, seem like something you would do if you're the original person making the carvings. You're not like, okay, let's build it. Let's carve all this beautiful stuff and then cover it with this crappy rock wall.
3: Right. You know? Right.
2: Yeah. Mm. So then,
3: so then you you have to rule out the possibility that somebody just came and excavated this midden mound, which was 50 feet deep, which took thousands of years to accumulate, and then built Gobekli Tepe and, and those rock walls. Maybe that happened, but it had to have happened 12,000 years ago, roughly. <laughs> yeah. But then that brings into question, well, why is the midden and All of the other uh, just archaeological sites around the area that don't have Gobekli Tepe-style megaliths, but that have this midden and these lithics, they have been dated contextually with a lot of other evidence at that time. So it just, to me, it has to push the actual megalithic construction of Gobekli Tepe further back, at least by maybe a generation. Yeah. At least, because that site had to be there, and then hunter-gatherers came to that site. Yeah, and occupied it. And occupied it, and that's Mm. when the midden began to be built. OK. And so then you move forward and maybe those hunter gatherers kept excavating the midden to try to keep these circular enclosures available. And then like like Russ was saying, uh, a big flood happens and the midden collapses, because when you're there, when you're when you're walking around the, the current state of, of the site, these archaeologists, the archaeologists have dug through 50 feet of this midden and they are doing everything in their power to shore up the walls of the midden with. Mm. sandbags and you know modern built sort of cobblestone walls
1: yeah yeah yep. and then
3: we got there right after a flood
2: and you could see big streams uh, of stuff from streams the of material yeah.
3: that have been poured into the site from all of that rain so it's it's constantly trying to rebury these sites yeah so That's i interesting I, I do not think the place was ritually buried there's other evidence that kind of led the initial archaeologists to believe that they were ritually buried um Part of that is that the midden within the circular enclosures was th- that their stratigraphy was inverted. Yeah. So, like, oh. the youngest uh, flint points were at the bottom and the older flint points were at the top. Like, But you can imagine that would happen.
2: If there's a collapse. Yeah. Like, yeah. A wall
3: collapsed. Now, they've dug in other places. There's another uh, enclosure that they've dug at in uh, Gobekli Tepe where they've found evidence of a previous excavation of the circular enclosure and they they found like a stairway or a ramp That's enclosure in yeah the midden mound like a, a previous ramp that had been buried okay so like somebody had come there and excavated this this circular enclosure thousands of years ago and had a ramp in the midden to get down into the enclosure
2: and there's a weird thing with uh, enclosure c which is uh if you remember from the pictures like there's three big enclosures sort of close to each other yeah. And one of them has two big the T pillars that well they the two big pillars and they're actually very square they the have sharp pillars. they've got the central pillars are sh, have sharp edges um and they're broken right the tops they're of huge, them are, I mean these things pillars. are I mean they're absolutely enormous they, I believe they would have been the biggest Yeah. And that, the, but the, sites but the tops of them are crumbled, and the pieces are all lying around them. Uh, and there is evidence that, like six thousand years ago, somebody came and specifically targeted. They dug a pit straight down to those two central pillars and broke them on purpose. Uh, 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 At least that's what they say. That the pillars were destroyed on purpose. Like yeah, they, call they called it, it iconoclasty or something. Yeah,
3: iconoclastic action. So yeah, uh, iconoclasm meaning like the purposeful pr- destruction of symbolism or yeah. yeah, artifacts of of another culture.
2: So somebody came and dug down and shattered the tops of these pillars on purpose, six thousand years after they were buried.
3: So we are not the first civilization to discover this site. Yeah, like it, it, it's obvious that. Well, it sounds like someone knew it was there of years in the past. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just love this idea that like somebody in the past may have heard legends of this, you know, like massive ancient site built by the gods that was located in these mountains whatever and they go out there and they find it and they dig down maybe looking for treasure or whatever
2: yeah something like that i don't know it's just- there is a marker uh, there's so when you come when you first come up to gobekli tepe the site itself when you you get up to the area where you kind of get out of the bus that they bring you in you're still you can see this massive roof uh where the site itself is protected Um, but next to you, and it's kind of fenced off, there's a big circular flat platform that's been cut out of the bedrock and it's out in the open. Uh, and it has at least one, uh, raised bedrock platform where if it, if it, it it looks similar to the other enclosures. In other words, there's one platform where a central T pillar would have been a pedestal, a pedestal. The other, the other T pillars in the, in the main site are all the central ones are on pedestals that have been you know, when they're cut, they flattened the bedrock and they left these two pedestals for the two central pillars in each one of the, the enclosures. And there's this one out in front that wasn't, it's not in the mound, right? The, the enormous mid-mound is off away from this. So this is open. So it's like, this acts as a marker. Anybody who finds this is going to, you can look at it and tell somebody made this. Right. And then if you look and you see this enormous pile of stuff, then you can say, okay, like you can get it, you could get an idea, right? That this might be a marker for this whole site. Mm. And if you were... You can't see Gobekli Tepe if you were down the hill, but you would have been able to see this one if this had been a similar circular enclosure with two pillars standing up on it and a circle of pillars around it. It's at the edge of the cliff of the main main hill where the whole site is, so you could see it from other hills or down in the valley right right so it's like a the archaeologists call it like a test yeah they're like oh they were testing it and they screwed it up (laughs) i just I (laughs) know. we're just like come on man (laughs) but that is
3: that is one of the things that sort of for me the mind-blowing thing to to kind of describe a little more about this these pillars like we said are are they're set on the bedrock now you're on the peak of a hill and these hills are you know heavily eroded limestone hills and so in order to build a circular enclosure first they had to flatten and level, make a level surface like you would pour a slab. But they had to cut it out of the bedrock of the hill to make this flat level surface out of the bedrock. So they did that first. And they didn't just make it flat and level. They actually depressed it into the bedrock so that there was sort of like a curb all the way around the circular enclosure that stepped up. So you had, you actually step, if you're going into the enclosure, you step down like off, this of, big, off of a yeah, curb yeah. into this big circular enclosure, which might have filled with water and looked beautiful, reflecting the pillars yeah. themselves. The central pillars are on a raised a raised pedestal again this is bedrock not they didn't set rocks there it's not like right. they set stones to raise it up this is literally carved out of the bedrock and the curbs themselves of these raised pedestals were carved in high relief yeah. in some cases with like beautiful birds and then mm. they cut a slot a socket into the center of of these two pedestals in the middle of the circle and slid the t-pillar where the <laughs> t-pillar literally slid in it to it like a key <laughs> it's wild it's just incredible <laughs> so this is not a simple like hey let's drag this rock and st- yeah, yeah, stand yeah. it up somewhere
0: yeah well aren't they somewhat like um a, a, like very finely carved and, and and thinner rock than we see other places yes
2: yeah and they're except for the ones in enclosure c the central pillars there which are like they're very square uh and have very sharp edges like i was saying uh the the like for example the T pillars of the most famous in, the one you see with the two really tall thin ones. Yeah. When you're actually walking around those, you see that they're actually not. They're also not uh, completely straight. They have this interesting wavy. It's so beautiful. It's, it's just, just there's. Uh, it's it's hard to describe, but they're not like perfectly flat and straight they've actually got this kind of organic yes it's like an organic look Uh, there was
3: the the, some of them look like mushrooms yep growing up out of the out of the bedrock yeah you know because they'll have this
2: s curve and then the top of the t pillar is the the top of the mushroom you know like it's a little angled
3: it's not perfectly flat and straight it's like it's beautifully not symmetrical yeah it's just it's it's wonderful the way they did this it and yet some of the high relief carvings, like there's one with a cat figurine just just sticking off of there probably like
2: it's eight inches or ten yeah. inches,
3: this beautiful sculpture that's sticking out off the edge of the pillar. And and to do that, you would have had to have left a large mass of material on the main megalith when you cut it cut it out. Like knowing like, okay, we're gonna actually carve this into a, a you know, an actual sculpture of something. Right. So it's just, it's incredible, the, the work that they did. I know a lot of people focus on, you know, Pillar 43, the Vulture Stone. This is the one that is connected to, um, you know, Martin Swetman, uh famously connected it to the, the, the Zodiac. Yeah, the zodiacal constellations and the alignment of the sort of solar disk and all that. That's very interesting. But some of these other features with these, I mean, just massive high-relief carvings uh, show the workmanship, the, the, the skill, and the planning that must have taken place. And now they're finding even further planning that the because what was initially thought was that the uh, that they would build one enclosure and then they partied there for you know a hundred years or something and then they're like okay this enclosure has served its time let's bury it and now let's let's build another one and right. another one and another they would do this over and over and now. There, there are other uh, scientists looking into the possibility and, and showing evidence that there was actually a master plan. Yeah, they are the, the, the circular enclosures are so close to forming a uh, equilateral triangle from center to center okay. that it seems incredibly unlikely that this was just random. Like, let's build a circular enclosure here after that was buried. And, and, and then the next one that like it looks like there was a master plan for this whole thing. And of course we haven't seen the whole thing we've only seen 20% yeah. of this one site yeah.
2: and there's a uh, there's a kind of stylistic uh continuity across the whole site that implies yeah. the same builders right it, it's it, that it's not like a a succession of things it, it was like a simple it was a single effort um but yeah the the, the geometry was very interesting because they were the, the that paper these guys were suggesting that to even plan this out and to build it in this way where there's they're basically making a triangle out of these uh circular enclosures that are are not actual perfect circles they're they're more like ellipses yeah but they were saying like okay so this requires math and also implies a a, a kind of blueprint in other words you can't just do this. um You can't do this like ad hoc right, or impromptu. Right. You have to draw something somewhere, and then you have to have the ability to take your drawing and scale it up to fit the size of the building, right? Surveying. Is, yeah. So, which this requires surveying. It requires math. It also implies a uh, the ability to construct a model that is scalable, uh, even if the model is just a drawing, right? This is how we do modern buildings today. We have big, we have whole sheaves of drawings, and the drawings are using. A specific measurement system that can be scaled upwards mm-hmm. and so you can look at this and say I know that if I take my ruler and measure one inch here that that means 15 feet in the real world when I make the building or something like that. Yeah, right. So you Gives have you a to scale. have a system of measurement. Yeah. Uh, and that, and this would be the earliest known evidence of that kind of thing if it's true. So and, some and, very and, interesting
0: work is being and done on this. Something like that did not appear from nowhere. Right. Yes. So it, yeah,
2: it's not like some, you know, I mean, I guess you could come up, you could, you could imagine some one-off genius. Yeah, maybe, you know, who is was just like, okay, I have all these ideas. <laughs> First, I need a measurement system. Uh, and then I'm going to draw a model and then we're going to build this. We're going to replicate this thing and then he can he can talk his entire tribe into doing it with him. But where do you get this, the carving skills from? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, this is obviously when you're looking at the the relief carvings on these, like set aside the ability to cut out the megaliths and move them and stand them up and all that and the construction and everything and then just look at the, the sculpture. And you can see that this is generational knowledge, that, that, that this yeah. isn't somebody doing this for the first time. Right,
0: exactly. We just don't have the stuff that came before yet. Right. Right. If, if it still exists. Uh, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right. All right, mid-show break here. Um, the contact info. Everything is at wheredidtheroadgo.com. You can become a patron. It's only $3 a month. You get extra content every week, plus some extra special stuff thrown in. And uh, if you want to send us a story for a listener story episode, listener stories episode, it's uh, stories at wheretherogo dot com, or just go to the website, look at the contact link. It has the mailing address. It has all the different emails. It has all the social media stuff. Our what used to be Twitter, we're now X. Uh, Facebook page, Facebook group, our um, Discord. Everything's up there where did the road go.com. All right. Now I, a, a recommendation for this week and my recommendation is a couple of books. And, uh, I listened to the first one of these on the way down to Albatwitch and, uh, or at least some of it. it's 11 hours. So it took me about nine to drive it. So, uh, yeah. Futuristic violence and fancy suits. Uh, the first Zoe Ash novel by David Wong, who also wrote, Uh, John Dies at the End, the four books of that. Uh, If you like John Dies at the End, you'll almost certainly like these. They have the same mixture of humor, wit, um, cleverness, uh, just everything that's there. It's just uh, a completely different story. It doesn't have the paranormal aspects that John Dies at the End does. It's more of a futuristic um, dystopia. I guess is a good way to put it, but I, I started the first book and I wasn't quite sure if I was going to get into it. And then I absolutely loved it. And I listened to the audio books. They were both really good. The other one is called Zoe punches the future in the Dick. Yes, that is the second book. And it's really funny to listen to the guy from audible say that at the end where he says, you know, you listen, listen to an audible, uh, reading of Zoe punches the future in the Dick." Um, yeah, so it has that sort of humor to it. It's very brash at points, very clever, and very well written. Uh, And it's written, as I said, by David Wong, or uh, I forget what his, uh, Jason Pargin is his real name, which he's now starting to go under. Uh, So I think you can find it under both. And I highly recommend them. Like I said, if you like the John Dies at the End stuff, you'll almost certainly like this. It's the same mix of stuff. It's just there's nothing really paranormal about this one. And uh, I very, very much enjoyed it. As soon as I got done with the first one, I, I went and listened to the second one and was kind of disappointed when I got to the end because now i eh, got to wait for him to write something else. Yeah. All right. Anyway, back to the show. You are listening to Where Did the Road Go on WVBR, FM, Ithaca. Check us out on the web at So I'm here with the Snake Brothers on Where Did the Road Go? And, uh, I have so many questions, please. Well, I'm not saying you have answers to them. I'm not afraid. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, man, I don't even know where to start. You mentioned so many things that then I wanted to ask you further questions about, but I didn't want to stop you.
3: Well, can I say, I just, I want to go back to this one thing. Yeah. I, I, I am blown away by this, this revelation to me that these sites were not intentionally buried because we spent so many years trying to figure that out wondering about this you know how did they bury this and then i'm telling you that you know being being someone who has spent a lot of time on midden mounds and looking for artifacts and 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 learning about midden and the accumulation of midden and the building up of midden walking up to this site it was immediately obvious that this was midden yeah and that i just right off the bat i was like wait a minute (laughs) This is a huge midden mound. So that was just, and then as we dug through the literature and read everything about the dating and looked at all of the, the newer stuff coming out and realizing that like, no, 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 this was not intentionally buried. That totally changes this, whatever this story is. So that's my favorite thing about uh, what we learned there, that that, 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 that that midden had to accumulate after these megaliths were erected.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, did you go to Cappadocia or any of those places? we, we didn't, didn't get to midnight. yeah we
2: didn't get up there next time we're definitely planning it for next time
0: because i think that's part of the puzzle as well because that's not that far away
2: yeah it could be it
0: definitely is part of the puzzle uh, the,
3: the, this whole area um is I, I was just struck by the the massive amount of uh sites in this area that have barely been scratched by the archaeologist's uh tool yeah. trowel yeah brushed by
2: their toothbrush
3: <laughs> uh it, it's just there's so much to be done here um so yeah, I think I think it's there's going to be many revelations to come out of this area. So I so mean,
0: what do you what do you think the site is actually was actually used
3: for? I have no idea. I I, I don't. I'm open to the possibility that it was ceremonial
0: uh, or uh, a work of art. Okay, even which Why again not? implies a very advanced culture.
1: Yeah,
3: but again, you have to consider that it's not the only site. So whatever this was, it was so prevalent that they built these T-shaped pillars all over the place.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we haven't even really discussed Karahan, right? So that's the thing, Karahan Tepe. Okay. In some ways is less. At first you're like, okay, maybe this is less impressive than Göbekli Tepe. But then when you start to kind of walk around it and you realize what you're looking at, uh, it it almost in some ways you're like, okay, this is this is the same kind of endeavor. It's just not as well preserved, at least the part that we can see. Uh, Gotcha. A lot of the T-pillars that are scattered all over. And this is, it was cool because you can walk all over this enormous hilltop. And there's just... T pillars sticking out of the, the ground. The tops of T pillars. The sticking tops out of, of them. Ground. Big, and you can, and you suddenly you see one. You're like, oh, that's the top of one. And then you realize there's another one there, and there, and there, and it makes a circle. So you're standing at the top, <laughs> of the circle. Uh,
3: this and, is why this is why I kind of waffled a little bit about the story of the farmer who hit it with his plow, because this th- because of sites like Carahan, where the tops of these things are sticking out everywhere. It's yeah. not like you didn't
2: need a farmer to hit one with his plow. They all knew. Yeah, they all know about these giant rocks in circles. And there are places in Karahan where you could see that uh, farmers had tried to break. Yeah. Them. Yeah. In other words, they tried to damage the because they were, you know, they wanted to plow, right? Yeah, and This rock is it? in the way, yeah, the way. and they they chip at it and chip at it. And so you can see there's a tee pillar here with the top of it that's been mauled by a by a pick or something. Um, but, you know, the, the farmer doesn't know that it's a tall megalith or maybe he figures it out while he's chipping away at it. That it's and not just a boulder he can, can move. You see
3: they were potholed around like like, in other words, people try to dig around. Yeah. To get down to the bottom of it so that they could pull it out. But of course, they went like four or
2: five feet down. It's still going. Yeah. <laughs> it's like,
1: nope.
3: All right. Abandon this idea.
2: But the, the main part of Carahan that we can see right now is a huge circular flattened section in the bedrock. And the back, the, the one part of it has a whole set of like weird looking benches and T pillars that are actually cut out of the rock. There are pillars and a, and a bench and a curb and everything. And it's a big circle. And there's two, at least probably two. Probably 100 feet across. Yeah. Yeah, it's massive. And then there's two pillars that are laying in the middle of it that have been shattered into a bunch of pieces. But they they were massive. I mean, they were absolutely enormous, but they're just they're heavily eroded. They're not well preserved. If they had carvings, they're completely gone. And they've at some point they either fell or were purposefully destroyed and they're broken into a bunch of pieces. So the archaeologists have kind of reconstructed them lying on the ground where you can see all the pieces. But the pillars were, were gigantic
3: and we were told uh that Carahan is roughly dated now 500 years older yeah. than Göbekli Tepe. Interesting.
2: Not surprising though. Right. Yeah. And this is again the dating is based on the lithics and the, you know, yeah. it, it isn't it, it's not something where you can actually date these platforms or the megaliths themselves. But they are, you know,
3: I, uh, to credit to the archaeologists that are working on these, they are doing they they are trying a lot of different dating methods. It's it's not I mean, they're the yeah, fact they're not, that, if they're not being lazy. The about fact it sure. that the stratigraphy of the of the midden is disturbed within these circles is what kind of prompted them to like, let's get more creative with the how can we date this? And they tried many different methods, and it's it's just they're they're doing a lot of good
2: work, um, yeah, trying to figure this out. But like we were saying before, you know, the, the and many of the papers we've read, they acknowledge, you know, somewhere in the paper that that this doesn't it doesn't put a uh, start date on the megaliths themselves yeah. they, they, they right. have this sort of like it can't be
0: any younger than, than this. this yeah so so they're not acting like egyptologists basically no they're no, not Not at yeah. all it's it seems a lot more open um is that maybe because of the the difference in cultures because it seems like a lot of the the the, the hesitation to make things older in egypt is that the, the fear that it's taking it away from the egyptian people
2: it could be, yeah. Cause I mean, the dates they have already take is so far back that it takes it away from anyone who can conceivably lay claim to it, right? Right. Like whoever right. was building this is they it, the 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 lithics that are being associated with the earliest dates, known as PPNA or pre-pottery Neolithic A, is a well known and well-established uh sort of lithic type that they have been associating with a, you know, a kind of hunter-gatherer kind of people that were in this area widespread uh, right at the beginning of the Holocene, so 12,000 years ago. Right. Um, So they're not connected to any current or modern or even like pre-modern culture. Right. Uh, And some of the sites, you know, it's it's kind of like we were getting these interesting stories like did locals here preserve some traditions about these sites? Because for the most part, it seems the sites are so old that no one has any idea right? There's not even any myths or legends about Mm, them, right? Um, But in some cases, there's some interesting stuff that implies that somebody in the cultures have been passing down some kind of information because of, like, artwork similarities. Tattoos. uh, Tattoos Mm. that were commonly given to young women during a sort of coming of age ceremony, uh, you know, that imply that somebody, somebody was aware, at least, of they were aware of the sites themselves but not necessarily that they had any myths about who made them.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Um so why if these sites were known did it take to like the late 1990s before anyone paid attention and took a look at them? <clears throat> well, again, a midden mound is not not like the
3: most interesting thing to to archaeology, especially if they've dug in multiple midden mounds, right? Like so so for example, if a team of archaeologists were we working on a site, and they they found midden there, and they dug to the bottom of the midden, and they they categorized all the lithic types, and they had kind of established this. And then one of them walked around on a mound like Göbekli Tepe and saw these lithics. They would say, "Oh yeah, this is
2: this is PPNB, so another PPNB
3: site. This or, is the you know this is the later you know hunter gatherers from PPNA." Yeah, and and then if somebody dug down and found PPNA a lithic, it's like it's sort of kind of. You can kind of get an idea. It's like, yeah, this is basically the
2: same stuff that we've been digging in.
3: They thought that the T pillars that were sticking up were like uh, intrusive burials.
2: Yeah, medi- they were tombstones. Medieval tombs medieval period tombstones that were intrusively put into the uh, the midden. So nobody was going to give you
3: funding to go like dig into those tom- like those graves because
2: it was kind of just considered, yeah, that's that's these are these are big. They're carved. They're it can't be that old. Yeah, they, they they couldn't they couldn't imagine that the work of the t pillars could be possibly associated with the PPNA stuff. Right. So they thought right. they
3: were they thought they were intrusive. In other words, that yeah. that somebody at a much later time, like in the medieval period, went and dug into the midden,
2: buried their dead there, and put a tombstone there. Carved the tombstone specifically because there's not a whole lot of great places to bury people in these regions. It's like 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 we were saying, it's mostly like a thin layer of topsoil on top of hard bedrock right so and
3: you know to kind of give them a little bit of credit here if somebody did if if an archaeologist did go do a little bit of digging and categorizing the midden they would notice that the midden itself was jumbled up the stratigraphy of the midden was jumbled up if they took a piece from close to the top and then a piece a little bit lower and had like organic materials and had them carbon dated they could be inversed the deeper one was younger than than the one close to the top which would suggest that that midden had been disturbed in the past which is exactly exactly <laughs> the case <laughs> yeah it is because <laughs> the middens had been disturbed in the past but it wasn't for burials
2: right so they it was because really they know. collapsed inward
0: yeah so what caused the discovery of the site then well uh klaus schmidt had been digging in an area
2: nearby i can't remember the name of the site but it was a place that uh, eventually got flooded right on purpose it was part of a reservoir mm. so they were digging in this area he was very young he was young he was kind of like this was an, an intern maybe intern or a, a student And so he was because of the work they did on this site. And it was kind of the thing where like, you know, the government's like, hey, we're going to build a reservoir of water. There's a known archaeological site here. Can we get a team out there to sort of categorize it and really investigate it before we flood the whole place? Right. So they went out and did a bunch of digging and they found uh, carvings. They found pillars. Uh, and, and so Klaus Schmidt is now familiar with this style and then the the place is flooded and then he began to investigate rumors basically of other similar sites in the area. And there had long been this rumor of this site and our, our guide told us this funny story of a farmer who was trying to convince somebody in the government that he had something on his land and he actually he got his donkey the whole story is like the guy had dug up or his plow pulled up a statue a small statuette mm. stone heavy it's the man or
3: what, it, what yeah his
2: name yeah i can't remember what his name was yeah
3: well not that one that
0: oh. one's
2: huge this oh, okay. this is a this is a similar one but it was you know but he puts it on his donkey and he goes like 50 kilometers he cleaned it yeah he cleaned it up got on put it on his donkey and took it 50 kilometers on trails or whatever to to show it to some people and they were just like whatever you know this is a modern artifact and you know and he was pissed off that the farmer was but uh, Klaus Schmidt gets wind of these kinds of things and he goes out and investigates the site he sees some tops of the pillars and he's like okay this is this looks like this other place I dug in that's now flooded and so he started working there and uh i think he's quoted somewhere as saying like once he had done an evaluation of the site he realized i'm going to spend the rest of my life here because it's a huge site yeah and he did he spent the rest of his life there
0: so did the site that went underwater was that also contemporary with gobekli tepe i can't remember i think it's supposed to be a
2: little late it's not as old but it is old you know more like nine thousand years or something like that don't quote me on that but uh right right but it, it it had similar features, similar artwork, and it was, you know, it was uh, kind of a at the time an outlier. It was like, wow, this is way older than we expected. It has much better work than we expect for something this ancient. But, but not yeah, a game he was changer. able to, He was what? Not a game changer. Uh, it was kind of a game changer. Oh, was uh, it? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was putting the ki- a kind of stonework and and carving, you know, and and pillar building that was not expected at the at that l- very early date. But then Göbekli Tepe just sort of overwhelmed it and pushed yeah. it back even farther. Yeah,
0: and and you gotta you gotta wonder what role the end of the Ice Age caused in these in yeah. things.
2: Yeah, it,
3: there there is that's another. I, w- I would just say this: that's another interesting part of of the midden mound of Göbekli Tepe is when they were excavating it, they found thousands
2: of uh, grinding stones for grain and other way things. more than like when you read the papers and they're like, there's way too many, right? <laughs> 7,000, I think, is what you yes. said. Yeah. Over 7,000 grinding stones are like this. You just, this, this implies. So, for a, a
3: population, this is what, this is what's cool. This is what I like about these, these archaeologists. They, they were like, wow, this is, this is, so many grinding stones. So, we need to do uh, some research. How much can you grind? How much can one person grind yeah. in one of these stones in a day? So, they, they made their own basalt, uh, you know, mortar and pestle type. There's sort of boat stone and then you're, you're grinding stone. And I guess some poor college grad. Yeah, and they give them these grains <laughs> <laughs> and they just grind. They like, grind this they're all grind day. They grind for eight hours. So <laughs> somebody who's never hand-ground stuff is grinding this stuff for eight hours in a day. <laughs> and they produced enough ground grain to support like so many, you know, so they do the statistics and they're like, okay, one person grinding eight hours in a day could support this many people. And so then when you figure it out to how mu- many grinders, stones they're like they are produced they are mass producing food on a scale that is way more than the population that can be imagined from the size of this site yeah but so what is going on here like and this is another thing about the midden they're finding like an immense amount of of animal bones from feasting from cooking and all that. so this is kind of where a little bit of the narrative came from like this was a ceremonial site where they threw these massive feasts because they found so much it, it's like a it's like manufacturing yeah. right giant production line up there and it's of course it's on the highest peak in that mountain range
2: yeah and too. there was there's also implication of uh of of Agriculture, at least going on somewhere else that was being brought there because they did a, a very interesting study. I can't remember the term, but there are these little microscopic silicates that build up in plants uh, that are that basically the silicate is forms a little um, like a sheet of quartz or something in between the cell walls of the individual cells of the plants. These, you can't see them without a microscope. But they have, but you can look at them when there's no plant material left, you can look at these things in the soil. You know, you take a sample of the soil, you look at it under a microscope and you can kind of count them. And generally you'll see, you can tell which ones came from the bottom of the plant, the middle of the plant and the top of the plant because the cell shapes are different. And so the shapes of these little uh, pieces of silica are different based on the cells that they were uh, in between. And here at Gobekli Tepe, they found a ton of this stuff, but only from the tops and the middles of plants, of of, of grain plants, basically, implying, you know, there, there's no root stuff. Yeah, In other words, somebody had off. harvested a bunch of stuff and brought it there and processed it.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah.
3: Huh. And then, of course, when you consider the landscape, when you're there, you're looking around, and it's, like I said, the bedrock is exposed everywhere.
0: But was it like that, you know,
3: 14,000 years ago? So they, they've done some studies, and there are uh, some suggestions that there may have been, uh, you know, a, a, what did they, co- what was the wording? It was like a, a slight cover of uh, dirt or soils or whatever over the
2: tops of this Yeah, like a thin cover. But there were, there were rivers. So, yeah. There were rivers and creeks that are no longer you can see where they were when you're standing up and looking down on the hills you can see okay that used to be a river it's right. just long gone it's completely dry now
3: Yeah it's possible that there was there was forest there was trees or or at, at least, least down in the valleys. and all that kind yeah. of stuff Um yeah so it, it that long ago there could have been a completely different situation with the soil in any case they dug down to the bedrock to build the site yeah. so they're they're bringing all of this stuff
2: from from somewhere, maybe down in the valleys, you know, who knows? Um, mm. and I mean, the nearest source of water to Gobekli Tepe is far away. I mean, you know, you got to walk a couple of kilometers to get down
1: right? to, oh, yeah. to that was, where the water is. That
3: was the other interesting thing is right when you're approaching it, the same place Russ was talking about, this barren circular enclosure that had no standing pillars. It was exposed and off to the side of the, of the, the main mound. There are two... Large pits, yeah. like, almost like you think of hot tub sized holes, holes in the bedrock rock that, yeah. that look like they were intentionally cut, maybe as water reservoirs. Yeah. I don't know if they've been excavated. We don't really know how deep they are. Yeah,
2: similar at Carahan. But, yeah, you could see somebody had cut had gone to a lot of trouble to cut long channels in the bedrock that led to like big cistern looking things, you know. So they were like channelizing water, possibly off the hill to fill up these cisterns.
3: Uh, it's just plus the enclosures themselves definitely would have held water yeah they if it rained those enclosures at least the 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 cut
2: portion of the bedrock would have just held water yeah three or four inches at least yeah which would have been beautiful yeah <laughs> a little reflecting pool yeah you can imagine like before the you know standing there at night with the night sky over you and the pillars there and oh this pool this perfect pool of water reflecting the night sky on the ground, in the pillars, like it would have been amazing. And the pillars reflected in the pool.
3: It yeah. Could have been,
0: yeah,
2: I mean, quite an ob- observatory. Yeah. Uh,
0: uh, what, what do you think about alignments?
3: Well, I, I only know that, that Graham, uh, you know, Graham would state that there are definite, precise alignments. Now, I haven't seen evidence of that in the literature, but of, of course, uh, Martin Sweatman also has... Uh, talked about alignments, so I, I don't know personally. Yeah, we've read
2: we've read a bunch of archaeological papers on the site. No, I don't. I haven't Not seen anybody really talking problem. about uh, alignments yet. You know, I'm sure somebody's going to get around to it, but
0: well, that, that, so far, I know Andrew Collins uh, connected it to Cygnus, but uh, as Robert Shock said, Andrew connects everything to Cygnus, so it's hard to say. <laughs> But I mean,
3: so so this is part of Graham's, you know, uh, complaint about the cover over it that you can't go up there at night and do archaeoastronomy because there's this huge tent, basically this.
2: Yeah, it's
3: what a beautiful structure, but this it's just giant tent type thing over the top of it, so you couldn't stand there and and kind of look across pillars and see what might be rising on the equinox or.
2: Yeah, and if there are alignments, it's gonna be a complex one because everything's round. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh and it's And this is the
3: other thing. It's been rebuilt. I yeah. believe it's it it seems very obvious that rebuilding has been done. We had talked about these cobblestone walls earlier. In many cases, the cobblestone wall will be going along and then it it comes to a T pillar. The T pillar is actually broken in half, but okay. still standing, and it's actually standing on big being flat, supported
2: by big, cobbles. big
3: flat rocks of cobbles and and maybe even other sections of other broken T pillars. Yeah, that are built into the cobblestone wall, and sort of the cobblestone wall goes around this top section of the T pillar to hold it, and the top of that T pillar kind of matches the tops of the other T pillars. So it it, it seems clear. It
2: looks like ancient reconstruction
3: it, in very ancient Damn. times, possibly twelve thousand years ago. Somebody was reconstructing these sites, standing
2: it up, building walls, you know, fixing broken
3: pillars. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's it's
2: not going to be easy
3: to to determine anything definite.
2: Yeah, alignments would have to be done with with the bedrock cuts. I mean, you can't really I mean, because the position of the pillars is in question.
0: Right. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Similar
2: to, similar to foundation measurements, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of sites in Egypt have been taken down or they fell over. There was an earthquake and they were rebuilt in ancient times and they fell over and were filled with sand and they've been rebuilt by archaeologists in modern times. And you can't really, it's hard to do any alignments with them, but if you could clear everything away and get down to the foundation, which no one has moved right since the original builders, then you could use that to maybe do some alignments, but it's tough uh, when you know it's been built and rebuilt and used and reused so many times.
0: Well, we were pretty much out of time. Oh, um, but wow! We, that was that was cool.
2: We can we can talk about Göbekli Tepe all day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: That uh, that's yeah. It felt like that just flew by. So we we can continue talking in a Patreon seg- segment. Sure, um, for sure. And uh, you guys are planning another tour to Turkey at some point? We are.
2: Uh, no definite dates yet, but we're definitely going back, and we're including the whole Cappadocia region. And I'm trying. Uh, I think this is going to happen. To also, because it's nearby, also get out to the, um, I can't remember what it's called, the Phrygian Valley, maybe, where the cart ruts are, near the Cappadocia stuff. Oh, okay. There's a okay. whole bunch of cart ruts in Turkey that are way less well-known than the ones in Malta that I really want to get, I want to walk around and
3: but see. S-
0: same type of thing, though?
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: But possibly
0: I, far better preserved. I already okay. solved it. It's
3: like, when they wanted T-pillars, they just cut them out of the bedrock in lines,
2: in parallel lines. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yep that was it you got it one other thing i'll say real quick before we go to the patreon segment just because i want your you know your regular listeners to know this like we're told we've we've talked all about these pillars and the beautiful bedrock flat cuts and how they left the platforms for the tall t-pillars and this amazing carving we're told they did all of this with flint of course flint tools flint tools and
0: bone well if they did that's pretty damn impressive yeah huh if they did that's pretty damn impressive it is yeah yeah in its own way, you know. Yeah, But yeah. It seems highly unlikely. It seems unlikely. So, where where can people find you guys? And if they are, where do you announce like the tours and stuff?
2: Uh, we're doing the tours. We do. We or we're we're doing most of them with Ben. Uh, we've really teamed up with Ben from Uncharted X. So, if you're interested in the uh, like the Egypt stuff, we're doing. A lot of times, the details are all posted on his website, UnchartedX.com. But the people can find us. Brothers of the Serpent is the name of our podcast. We have a website, BrothersOfTheSerpent.com. We're on YouTube, Spotify, and anywhere else. If you want to watch videos, we got. We're on YouTube. If you want to hear the podcast, like you, if you know, like if you're listening to Where Did the Road Go. We're on all the RSS feeds. So
3: Yeah, and especially if you if you want to see more about this stuff we're talking about with Gobekli Tepe, we did a series. It's we did not all, all series, yeah. Not all in a row, but on YouTube we are showing videos and footage and photos of the stuff that we've found and tr- trying to, to illustrate all of these points that we're making. Yeah. Uh with with the footage that we got. So
0: you can find that on our YouTube channel. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by our Patreons. And I'm going to give a shout out to all my Patreons right here, because you really do help make this possible. And a special shout out to those pledging $10 or more, Greg Ross, Illuminati, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Tim, Midnight Review presents, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Quinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Andrew Malone, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable. CJ, Greg Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, J., J. Otto Bullitt, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K., MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Stacy Sherwood, Stevie Norman, Strange Stories with the Seeker and the Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K. Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. So there is a Patreon-only segment where we continue this conversation and get into some other stuff as well. Uh, that'll be up for patrons. Uh, if you're hearing this in a non-patron fe- uh, feed, it's already up. So uh, go subscribe. It's only $3, and you get a bunch of extra content every month. Every week you get extra content for the most part. It's very rare I don't put at least one thing up a week. All right. Um, man, I've, I've, I've lost track of who I've thanked uh, as far as new patrons go. So uh, I'm going to go by the list that it has popped up in front of me, which is Jack Huntington, Ryan, and schmooples Devourer of Mortal Souls, who I feel like just uh, resubscribes every month so I get to say that. And uh, that's kind of fun. Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls. Alright, I uh, hope everyone enjoys the extra content. I am working on some other stuff um, show-wise uh, to put put up. I got some videos I'm working on and some... Uh, We're going to do something with the documentary. I'm not sure exactly when. I gave out some copies at Alvit Twitch, and uh, I'll be making those available too at some point. I know Chris is going to be entering it in some film festivals, so we may wait to make it publicly available after that. I don't, I don't know. We're still kind of just playing around with it a little bit. So that will be coming soon as well. All right. Uh, so to, uh, to take you out, we're going to hear something from $50 Dynasty, which is the Brothers of the Serpent. And uh, we're going to go with a song called Our Immortality. This comes off their procession album. It is up for free. If you Google $50 Dynasty or uh, follow the link on the website, I think it's just $50dynasty.com, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. So, uh, yeah, if you like this, it's it's a very, very well done piece of work here. So uh, enjoy, and I, will, and I will hopefully see you next time.